everyone, and thank you for attending another webinar session with the Montreal Toronto Wealth Management teams. Our topic today will cover the issues associated with buying or selling a professional practice. Whether you're a dentist, optometrist, or vet, there are similar issues one has to deal with and should always seek the guidance of professionals. Joining us today is my colleague Steve Seabag in Montreal, Lloyd Wright in Toronto, and we are also honored to have with us Tim Brown. Tim has risen to national prominence as CEO of ROI Corporation, Canada's professional practice appraiser and broker since 1974. His insights, research and experience, not to mention the numerous publications, has made him a highly sought after professional speaker. Welcome, Tim, and thank you for being here with us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be joining with your reputable firm and let's have some fun. Let's go. All right. To start, maybe uh, you could update us on what is happening in the market right now as it relates to values and practice availability for professionals. Um, perhaps you could also address modern issues that you see affecting the industry, such as uh, raising interest rates, large corporate buyers, or even COVID. Okay. So just for the information of the viewer, none of these questions were sent to me in advance. So this is right off the cuff, acapella, uh, let's fire. So rapid fire, I call it market update. So it's May uh, 17th today, May 18th, 2022. I'm on holidays from Florida. So the dates uh, kind of getting blended. Practice values peaked about two years ago in a logical viewpoint from my opinion. Um, you have a respected chartered accountant on the line. Uh, many of the accountants and bankers that I commiserate with agree that dental practice values in particular um, logically peaked about two years ago, but from a market rational, irrational market perspective, uh, values have continued to climb. Um, just like the real estate market, I think all Canadians watch the market exceed normal values or normal expectations for the last two years. And of course, it's pretty evident today that in the spring of 2022, the real estate market is distinctly softened. We're yet to see meaningful economic decline, but certainly buyer sentiment is, is probably the first indicator that the market will decline to some extent. And that affects the dental optometry and veterinary markets equally the same because buyer sentiment is buyer fatigue. They got fed up of paying high prices and then with ever escalating and you know the predictions for interest rates, which everybody agrees upon, that takes a lot of steam out of the buyer mentality that they'll be borrowing at higher and higher interest and carrying costs. And a million dollars in debt for a professional at prime rate was 25,000 a year in tax deductible interest. That's gonna to double to 50,000 a year. There's a big psychological effect there that that'll have on the buyer pool. Now, that's the traditional hands-on owner operator buyer. So I think the dental practice marketplace is seeing those buyers soften and exit perhaps, or at least certainly less, much less willing to pay any kind of premium. And they're gonna start contesting asking prices and appraised values. Uh, there's a second segment to the market, which is the medium accumulator buyer. And there's many of those out there. These are dentists uh, backed with management teams, perhaps traditional bank credit or private equity to some extent. Uh, they're still buying, but they're getting the same fatigue. They're fed up of paying as much as they had to over the years. Um, they want to keep accumulating. Um, and I was just messaging one last night who said, these prices, Tim, like we've been buying, you know, we like buying and you know that we respect your appraisals, but these prices are getting silly. So I know he's getting pressure from his finance team and whatever sources of funding he's using. Uh, the third buyer in the market, of course, is the big corporate DSO. Uh, there's three or four large players in the market. There's a massive uh, or sorry, a merger in play. Um, it's, it's not public record, but I don't think it's a secret, but number two and three are about to merge to then challenge number one. Um, and there's still many, many others in medium formation there. So I think you know, overall, the market prediction for this opening comment is it should have peaked a few years ago. It didn't. 
Continuing low interest rates are rational, the competition, the sexy stigma of, hey, if the big corporations are doing it, you and I can do it too. So recent graduates and even uh, classmates were holding hands saying, let's go get three to five practices. And you know, as long as we can get banked at a prime rate, two and a half percent, let's go. Um, those days are gone. Um, they're very recently passed. And I have yet to see a meaningful drop in price, but I'm definitely predicting it. Five to 10% in the next year is my rough opinion for dental, veterinary, and optometry practice valuations. Sale prices, who knows? How's that? Okay, Tim, on that same topic, there's a lot of dentists that are gonna be retiring in the next you know, five to 10 years. What impact is that gonna have? So these are exit and entry rates. I mean, whenever you increase the supply of any asset, as long as the buyer pool remains stable, as the supply goes up, we get, you know, this is guns and butter. If anybody here studied economics 20 years ago, um, there is direct relationship. So basically, we would predict that the baby boomer marketplace is distinctly coming to the market. That's the aging population. If anybody studied David Professor Foote from U of T, yeah. boom bust an echo 25 years ago, um, taking the Python about 20 years ago. Basically, it's just talking about the aging population, the population bulge, and it is moving distinctly well into the 60s at 58 turning 59 very soon i am exactly at the tail end of what they call the baby boom literally by about a month so we have many many healthcare professionals all professionals in their 60s now and obviously the exit rates of those people are probably going to be triggered a little earlier than the exit rates of their predecessors you know they don't want to be at the dental chair or at the surgical table in a veterinary practice at 75 years of older they don't mind owning the practices, but they really don't want to be hands-on active clinic, clinical practitioners. So yes, that is coming, Lloyd, absolutely correct. It's been happening for years. I predicted it would, it would begin many years ago, optimistically as a broker who needs inventory. I kind of hoped it started a long time ago. It really didn't materialize as quickly as I thought. Part of the reasons we're just continuing economic setbacks such as divorce, uh, bad investment planning by some of the dentists and hopefully this group can prevent some of the bad investment planning that the healthcare professions are notorious for you know ladies and gentlemen of the healthcare profession that are watching stop it just listen to a professional take your foot off the gas stop gambling on silly pitches from uncle bob and your cousin and your brother-in-law and you can do well you, you can exit earlier um, i have made those mistakes so i speak from truth not just from prediction thankfully i could afford them and i recovered so yeah, the baby boomers are coming, that'll increase supply. And if the buyer pool remains the same or slightly smaller because of the, the fatigue they're experiencing and the fear of higher interest rates, we may start to get back into some kind of balanced marketplace, but I don't see that happening anytime in the next, say 12 to 18 months. We need interest rates to get up to effective borrowing rates for professionals at about 5%. And right now we're still only at about three and three and a bit. When they hit 5%, there's a big psychological obstacle there and more will drop out of the pool. Then the baby boomers come and maybe we get a balanced market again. Tim, you alluded to them when you spoke about aggregators, but maybe if you can speak a bit more about Dental Corp and how you feel they're changing really the market for dentists and if there is an impact on other specialties also, this type of model coming in and affecting other specialties in the area. So Steve, I'm going to speak to all of the corporate accumulators and there's quite a, you know, a much more mature, um, I call them CSOs, corporate service organizations, as opposed to DSOs because corporates uh, are accumulating in veterinary, healthcare, um, uh, fertility clinics, uh, dental, pharmacy. So the corporate phenomenon is really what I want to speak to. And I don't want to name any individual companies, yep. but the problem um, with corporate uh, 
corporate accumulators is they're private equity backed and the primary goal is to accumulate cash flow, strip as much of it out as they can for the investors and the management team. And they don't reinvest in the day-to-day -day practice as much as a hands-on owner operator does. And the long-term effect of that is a little bit of a gutting out of certain types of industries. And if we can go back to KKR and some of the LBOs and some of the industry we've all either experienced or at least certainly read about, um, private equity isn't good for healthcare in my opinion. Okay. They're here, they're making investments and they're making acquisitions. Um, and there are many hundreds, sorry, I would say probably about 900 to 950 Canadian dental practices that are owned by the corporate accumulators right now. They'll be soon be reaching a thousand in total. Uh, the problem with them is culture. I mean, you guys work in a pretty decent sized organization, but there's much larger wealth managers than the one you work in. And some of you already work there and you decided, let's come back to Mercer. Let's come back to more, you know, hands-on order operator mentality. Um, I do, in my industry, I'll use an example is, you know, Remax and Royal LePage in Canada. I don't fit those corporate models. You know, I'm an unbridled entrepreneur. And even though my business is very lucrative, we have been approached and it's profitable. I don't fit. And I hear that on a daily basis from particularly the dental profession in Canada is the money's great. From what we hear, they pay pretty decent dollars and they do. They don't pay anything more than anyone else does, but why would a corporate pay more than you and I would? I mean, they don't want to overpay just because they have the money. So they're rational purchasers in that regard, uh, but people don't want to work there. These, these hands-on owner operator healthcare owned um, and run practices, they're very individualized, they're very stylized, and that's what these people want. And one of the top things that comes out of all of these healthcare professions after they graduate or as they're studying is why are you doing this? To be my own boss. That's right in the top three of all of these healthcare practitioners. And you've all heard it and you've all worked with them before. And when you take that away by asking them to be part of something big, uh, to be part of a big organization, and there's many benefits and merits to some of these large organizations. Unfortunately, some of the individuality is hollowed out. And what we're hearing is just culturally and corporately, people don't want to work there. Even the staff are, are reporting the same phenomenon. So they're here, corporate dentistry and corporate phenomenons in, in optometry and in veterinary, they're here, they're here to stay. They're well back, they will raise more equity. They will continue to be aggressive in the market. They will continue to accumulate. Um, they buy from brokers like us. They prefer to go direct, but I'm working on different transactions with these uh, corporate accumulators now. Yeah. I think they'll peak at about double their market potential. Uh, their market penetration right now is somewhere around six to 7% in the Canadian dental segment. I think they're going to hit about 15 in about five years. And I think they'll get tapped out because the remaining dentists in the Canadian market will say, I want to be my own boss. That's it. And it's just going to be a stop. It happened here. You know, America uh, got to about, depending on the state, roughly 80, 20, as high as 60, 40. Uh, the, bound, the majority being the hands-on solo practitioners, 40% corporate penetration is one of the highest penetrations in some of the states here in America, and as low as 20% in others. You can't you can't buy individuality, you can't buy freedom, and you, you can't buy entrepreneurship. You can buy a business, uh, but if the people don't want to sell to you, you're, you're going to hit a wall. Very short question. No, no, very enlightening. Um, one of the, the mantras that we have when it comes to, to wealth management is always, for sure, planning properly, adequately, and not have to be reactive. And in, uh, in your industry, it's, uh, it's actually even more important. How long do you feel a doctor should take before uh, he's considering selling a practice uh, to put the right uh, structure in place? And what are some of the main clauses 
that he or she should be looking at when uh, the interest of selling a practice is starting to, to emerge? Um, so first of all, you know, I'm, I'm obviously patently biased because we, you know, I have an appraisal company and we make a living off of promoting and delivering appraisals to the healthcare professions. But the appraisal itself, a lot of people think it's just, oh, it's an elective product. You call up, you get one when you're thinking of selling so you know what it's worth. And then you either sell it yourself or you call a broker and you get it sold. Um, the appraisals now become much more of a, an essential product as opposed to an elective procedure. And it's a planning tool. And in the process with the more experienced appraisers in Canada, uh, of which our company contains many of them, the, the individual business owner will soon uncover that there's opportunities for improvement. Quite often they're patently aware of them already, but what the appraisal does is it monetizes them. And it turns it into a monetary opportunity for improvement that we can economically value and estimate what would be the economic return on your investment if you were to alter this or that aspect of your business. So for that reason alone, remember I'm biased, I make a living off of selling appraisals, get an appraisal doctor. It uncovers so many other things. It'll uncover some great strengths in your business that you're probably aware of, but we will economically value them and show you and reward you for some of the brilliant decisions you've made. We'll also uncover some of your weaknesses and deficiencies. And some of them are, are preventable. Uh, some of them you can solve. Some of them are latent, you're probably oblivious to. Um, some of them are redundant deficiencies and, and things that you just can't change. Like you can't change if you're next to the worst tenant in all of the nation and you're on a 20-year lease. And we just appraised a practice where the new tenant right beside is an adult supply organization. And that's not cool because there was a lot of kids in the practice. So the parents are dropping out. They just don't want to take their kids to this practice. And you had, the, the individual had no control over it because the landlord controlled the space. So little things like that, some things you can't change, but uh, get the appraisal is the first thing. Clauses, um, I don't really know if I can speak to the clauses, but in getting ready for sale, you know, there's the top three things you need to know about that make a business more saleable. And the premise lease is one of them. And many doctors are oblivious to some of the deficient clauses contained in their premise lease because they signed that lease 10, 20, 30 years ago, and they've just right. been signing little renewal and extension agreements all along, and they're not very complicated documents, and no one has gone back and read the original head lease from 20 or 30 years ago. And all of a sudden, when that happens, and that will happen at the appraisal stage, it certainly will with our company, it's quite a tedious process, uh, takes one of our analysts between 10 and 20 hours, depending on the document, oh my goodness, we have found a couple of old clauses that says, you realize, that in that lease you signed 20, 30 years ago, you can't assign your lease, or you can't without paying or begging or you know making compromises that a lot of business owners don't want to make. So number one, get on that premise lease, doctors. Okay, you must have control of your space. If you own your space, you're in a different situation, and that becomes an issue of zoning and compliance. Uh, but if you rent your space, which 70 to 80 percent of Canadian professionals do, get on that lease every single renewal agreement, every single amendment, every paragraph revision that's ever been made to it, they all need to be accumulated, read, and then put into a proper analysis of, did your lease ever get modified along the way that you were not aware of that could prevent the sale of your business? So number one, long answer is my typical response, short question. Number two, employment, uh, proper written employment contracts. Uh, employment law has been around a long time. It is distinctly and significantly much more serious to the small business owner. Uh, most small business owners readily admit we're not very good at human resources. Uh, we love hiring, we hate firing, and we're just not that good at culture and leadership some days. 
because we're busy, especially the clinician. They're into some pretty serious, stressful procedures. Um, you know, at, at the dental chair, it can be kind of stressful some days. So you need to have human resource management. Lots of professionals that do it. Lots of human resource lawyers. They've stuck themselves out as expertise uh, experts in these areas. Get all your employees, your associates, or your partner, if that's a matter, on some type of written contract. The lack of them will cause your business to sell for less. There is no longer any more discussion or argue about this in the small healthcare business appraisal market. We pioneered this almost 15 years ago. We were the first to put economic value on proper written employment agreements and economic penalty on long-term employees with no written agreement. We pioneered it. I still don't see it in any other appraisal today. I don't think the other companies understand just how significant that can be to a purchaser and his or her lawyer, accountant, banker. Uh, the third thing is really just about your, your practice as a whole and how it's presented. And you can get into cosmetic and aesthetic improvements. And just like real estate, we can stage your practice, but I don't want to talk about lipstick on a pig, but real estate agents tend to do that. We want to talk about more the systematic and the, the economic reporting of the business. Like show us, like just don't say I get 20 new patients a month. No, is it 18 or 23? And how many was it the month before? And how many did you lose this month? And a lot of practitioners, because of the deficiencies of the software and the busyness of the staff, most of our clients are oblivious to how many patients they're losing. They know how many they're getting because the computer counts. They don't know how many they're losing. Get your data together. Go ahead, Lloyd. Steve, a comment, another comment on this topic. Another reason for getting appraisal and this analysis done up front is sometimes a sale is involuntary. People can get sick, people, um, COVID, there's a, there's a million of things. So Tim, another reason, you know, I, I support everything to identify issues, but for, for a lot of times having your practice looked at because sometimes sales are involuntary and you need to always be prepared and, and analyze those risks, et cetera. So that's another reason for having people like you look at practices sooner than later. Well, on behalf of the entire Canadian professional practice appraisal industry, Lloyd, thank you. Um, you know, it happens, you know, it happens. People get sick, accidents happen. Uh, yeah. There are very sudden life-changing events that can occur in any profession. Every practitioner watching this webinar has a friend, classmate, or colleague, or an immediate nearby story of a tragedy. And when that practice is not ready for sale, it should always be running and ready for sale. Every business, including mine, you know, I have an emergency plan in place. If I'm at the Clearwater Beach. If I head out in the surf today and don't surface, they know what to do within 24 hours. What do we do now? So there's an emergency plan. There is an appraisal on file of our company that's updated every 12 months. There's, I have a will. How many of you professionals watching don't have a will? And if you don't, shame on you, okay? That's irresponsible and naive of a professional to not have a proper will. And many will say, I've got a will, but it could be 10 or 20 years of age and it's completely redundant. So have a proper current will. That's why we have life insurance. You know, and I know a lot of us think we're gonna live forever, but we won't. So life insurance is there. The appraisal goes in the vault with the life insurance, the will, the emergency plan, the financial planner's information, the estate attorney or the lawyer's information. Um, and that should all be bundled up and just kept in a folder. And all of those documents need to be reviewed and refreshed, sometimes every one year, sometimes every two years. I mean, divorces and children and family structures, everything can modify a lot of those documents. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's unprofessional and naive of a professional to not have a proper plan in place for their immediate demise. And I don't want to plan to die. I want to plan to live. And as I'm sure you know, folks, retirement is a leading cause of death 
So I am never retiring. Okay? <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. Death will be my retirement. Great line, great line. Uh, I, I know Dr. Milan one of my mentors. He makes that one up. Retirement is the leading cause of death, so death will be my retirement. <laughs> be because we didn't send you the questions in advance, you kind of touched on, on the next one I have, which is the more soft issues uh, that uh, you know, professionals that are selling their practices are faced with, above and beyond something like, like tax issues. Really, uh, what are the personal issues that affect somebody who is contemplating and sale, uh, the sale of their business, maybe retirement or the fear of not being relevant. Can you touch on that from your experience? Some of the uh, blocks or the hurdles that uh, professionals considering selling are, are facing. Okay. I'm an amateur industrial psychologist because this career has thrust me into it. I've studied it casually. I've never had any formal training. The business of selling a business is like divorcing a perfectly healthy marriage or adopting out your firstborn loving child. Selling your business is not easy, particularly for those who started them from scratch or de novo, because that's your baby all the way from ground up. For others who bought their business uh, from somebody else, you've still nurtured it and raised it, but it's a, it's a slightly different story. But. Um, this is a family business for me. My dad, mom and dad started the company 48 years ago. I am significantly attached to this bait. And, and the thought of selling it um, has really caused me to choke up on a number of occasions because I've role played out. I even wrote my resignation letter to myself uh, just as an exercise once. Dear Tim, sorry to tell you, I've sold the business. You know, so-and-so is taking over. And I went through these exercises because that's industrial psychology. And it's much like a business. It is a business divorce, if you will, from ownership. Yep. It's very difficult. So study the concepts of that, folks. And there's lots of information about it, the psychology of letting go, you know, business owners selling. Um, as to having a life after work, get one. It's not hard. There's lots to do out there, folks. If you don't know what you're going to do after work, then you have a problem because this is a big world and we can travel again. And even if you don't want to travel, Canada is an amazing country. I mean, if, if I, what do you want to do? I mean, we all think of golf. You see the retirement commercials of the, the beautiful tan couple sailing out in the Gulf of Mexico. But, you know, there are a lot of people doing that. I see them every day out here sailing. They're reading. They're probably coming back and making love. They're drinking wine. They're, you know, going out for dinners. I mean, there's a life after work for all of us. And anybody that doesn't have a plan, I think, is, is, is living a very sheltered um, and introverted life. And yes, there are introverts in all professions and healthcare tends to attract a slightly higher percentage. So get a life. Um, there is one out there waiting for you. Uh, as to selling and complete cold stop, I've always been a fan of it. I call it TTMR, take the money and run. Um, I'm still a fan of it. For the large majority of our clients, you should sell, walk out on closing, okay? Not everybody agrees with that. And there's all kinds of discussion today about, no, you have to stay for five years if you want your money. The corporates won't make you an offer if you won't sign for five years. There's just so many hybrids of ways to exit today that there's no stagnant, simple methodology. Um, the owner needs to put a practice appraisal on their business, uh, set a date, pick a date, 30th year since you graduated as a practitioner, uh, your 60th birthday, uh, your 40th wedding anniversary. Just pick something meaningful and make it a target date and plan for it. You can always extend. You can always change your mind and say, no, nope, three more years. That's look at Tom Brady, I'm out. <laughs> okay, wait, I was, you know, we'll maybe I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, 
you know, and what did you see the other day? He's got 375 million from the sports station, the news yeah, broadcast. So, so he planned the afterlife uh, properly. Yeah, <laughs> next year retirement. We should all get married to Giselle. Pay Ten times as much to come back and play, and then the sports people more than double that up by whatever. So just get a life. I think we're talking. You know, we're trying to be humorous, but get a life. Um, be prepared that it could happen to you at any moment. Always have your business running and ready for sale. There's lots of information out there. There's a plethora of people within my organization that are available. I'm certainly still working and actively available. Um, the other companies that are in the business, some of the appraisal and brokers of Canada have substantial experience that don't work for Roycorp. Please seek them out. This is not a business for the, the new graduates and the rookies. And if you have a million or $2 million portfolio, you shouldn't be calling the kid that passed his SEC license yesterday, okay? It really, you need to know where to put these types of decisions and discussions. Uh, next to my firm, there are some great experienced people. If you want to know who they are, you know, call me. I'll give you their name and number. So I know at least you're talking to someone that's been around, that's done this, that, that's market plugged in, savvy and aware, and not just someone that's thinking of retiring and just wants to sell one more dental practice and, you know, cash a commission and go to the beach. Up, Steve. Yeah, that was that, that was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I don't um, even have a follow-up to that, so that's that's <laughs> Michael, go with the next one, Mike. Sure, sure. Tim, you gave us a lot of great uh, thoughts on uh, retiring baby boomers and uh, you know how to position their practice for the eventual sale. But what about young doctors uh, coming up today? Uh, should, is it better for them to buy a practice, start their own, or even stay as an associate? Um. So. My basic advice to the young dentist has always been, and I have a publication called The First Five Years, and it generally is addressed to young dentists and how they come. I'm sorry about the changing lighting, if you can see it, but it's the sun. The sun's coming in and out of the cloud here. That's what's causing that. I think if I get closer, it doesn't seem to do that. Listen, if you're a young practitioner, uh, you've been out, say, three months, five years, be an owner. The money's in ownership. The, the, the thrill, the pride, uh, the, the be my own boss, it's all in ownership. So be an owner is my first advice. Be an associate, sure, do that. Maybe pay off your student loan, finance a BMW, have a couple of fun years, but be an owner. Okay? <laughs> Number one, be an owner. Uh, secondly, uh, between setting up and starting or buying a practice, it's about 50-50. And the way I would balance that out is if you have student debt, a house, a mortgage, or you're married, you have children or children on the way, you have in-laws living with you or outlaws living with you, you need to buy a practice. The best way to get out of debt is to get a whole bunch of debt and buy a cash flowing business. Hmm. So if you're say 29, you've been out of school for three or four years, uh, you maybe have a car lease and a, and a cell phone, no student debt, no mortgage, not married, no kids. Some are still living with mom and dad or maybe the dentist and their partner or their girlfriend, boyfriend rent a nice condo. You don't have a lot of financial pressure on you. Uh, you still want to be an owner so you can set up so it's really just about a debt load and a life load situation and the higher your debt load after school and the higher your debt load three to five years after graduation the higher your life load responsibility and i'm not joking about in-laws and outlaws there's a lot of young professionals carrying a family of their married family as well you know just because of the demographic of the profession and the way some of these families are living together um, if you have all of that, you just need to borrow another couple of million and get a cash flowing business. But if you're young and single or just having fun, not a lot of debt or pressure, set up a practice. 
you know, be prepared to be not so busy. Be prepared that it's going to take a while to get to break even, probably about three years to break even. And break even is when you start taking a salary, okay? I don't mean all the other ways it's calculated. Until you take a paycheck out, you haven't broken even, in my opinion, because the bank's still got to get paid. Um, and setting up is fun. It's brand new. You pick your own equipment. You pick your paint colors. You hire all your staff right from the beginning, all on your own. You train them your way, the way you want them. So it's about 50-50, in my opinion, as to set up versus buy. Does that make sense, Michael? Yeah, that's a good answer. Let's hope that uh, the inflationary pressures that we're seeing on uh, on interest rates do not uh, do not jeopardize the ability to just go ahead borrow at uh, you know 100% financing. Uh, yeah. If it prohibitive, that kind of changes the the landscape. Probably your answer. To well, well, I can just segue to quickly, and then I know Lloyd has a question. But you know, as interest rates go up, there are dentists that are deep in debt right now from either setting up or buying practices. And they paid premium prices to either set up or buy. As these interest rates reach their point, they're doubling and 5% is the magic double from when they borrowed. Um, there are some that are just gonna be not able to make the nut or just psychologically freaked out. And those practices will come to market just because of fear, anxiety, stress and pressures. And that's not cool. Those are not the best practices to be put on the market, um, but many will. This is gonna yeah. happen in the housing industry for sure. It's financial. There's uh, interest rates and prices are uh, have that relationship. I ha we have clients, uh, dentists and, and specialists that probably finance the building where the bank gave them 100% of the building plus yeah. 100% of the renovations and 100% yeah. of the practice. So you're two, three years in only, not a lot of equity on paper in that practice. So not a lot of wiggle room. So certainly uh, something to, to, to look out for. Well, you had a question? Yeah, the only thought I have on Tim was what you just said. And I think I think you have to have faith in the business. And I think the business of dentistry is, is a business that is a relatively safe business. There's issues with every business, but we're always going to need dentists. You know, I, I mean, we have an aging population at large. And the older we get, the more dental care we need. Yeah. Um, before I left for Florida 10 days ago, I had to go in for an endodontic treatment on the 4-6. Um, my GP opened it up, got started, and he goes, Tim, this is, this, is, this is over my head. I'm just gonna seal it up right now, put the gold crown back on. And then I came down to Florida, dropped $1,375 at the endodontist for just that tooth, okay? He, I think he did a wonderful job. I've seen all the pre and post-op x-rays. Uh, now I have to fly back to Canada, uh, have the crown removed again for the third time now. Uh, my dentist is going to have to do what's called a post and core buildup, which is six yep. or eight hundred dollars or something. This one tooth, at a fifty-eight-year-old age, I'm going to drop with U.S. currency. Uh, uh, Consider that'll be a twenty-five hundred-dollar tooth, and I still have the tooth. That's not an implant, and that doesn't include a crown because we're reusing the old gold crown. That's twenty-five hundred dollars on one tooth. Okay, so aging people spend a lot of money at the dentist. But the great thing about old people in, a, in an aging population, which is that moving demographic, taking the Python, boom, bust, and echo, um, most of us have time, money, and we certainly have an increasing need for dental care. So if we're just talking dentistry for now, dentistry has a very, very lively looking future before it. The, the opposite side of that is we have too many dentists in Canada competing for this $2,500 tooth because we're allowing 1,700, 1,800 dentists to obtain a dental license in Canada every single year. 
from a supply and demand perspective of equivalent full-time EFT dentists, we don't need that many every year because we don't have that many exiting. You have to look at how many are leaving the party to know how many more you can let in. You know, it's just like a bar with a lineup out front. We can only have a thousand people in here. You have to wait until two leave, two don't get in. Well, we don't have that in dentistry. So we only have maybe five or 600 leaving every year. This is the exit rate. I think we touched upon it earlier. And then the entry is 1700, 1800. When you do that for a decade, which we've been doing for a decade, you end up with a massive oversupply of dentists competing for only so many $2,500 teeth. That's why you see so many setups because there's not enough exiting or selling. The corporates are absorbing a lot of that inventory that normally would have come to the market, either privately or through brokers. The corporates snap them up. They keep the previous owner working three years or five years. A lot of them are holding shares. A lot of them are on very strict re retention contracts. So they're not retiring. They may be selling their ownership position, but they're not leaving the profession and freeing up employment and patient flow for the young ones. So we have a, we have a huge backlog or log jam of young, eager, willing people um, and not enough of the old people leaving yet. But the baby boomer thing will come and that should start, like I say, should start to normalize it, but I'll believe it when I see it. So let's do this again in a year and we'll see how my predictions have worked out. I look forward to it. I was uh, I, I was laughing when I heard you uh, talk about your tooth because I'm saying, my God, poor Tim, he must have 172 dentists or specialists that he has a relationship with. Who does he give his business to? <laughs> must be. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So this is who I'm working for. Oh, that's my retirement plan. <laughs> Go on the fridge, your little juice bag. She will keep you a young baby boomer. Right. Oh, yeah, she's keeping me young. I have a 36-year-old son, and then my lover and I have a few in between from her previous relationship, and then I have a, a four-year-old now. So we're, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be working for a while. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, well, thanks, Tim. You really do have a lot of insight into the process, uh, not only the practice, but, you know, uh, in raising a family. Um, Steve, some of our viewers uh, may be wondering what role does our, your financial advisor play in all this? I know yeah. we're always looking at professional corporations to ensure it's on side with the capital gains exemption rules. Our ultimate goal is for our clients to pay as little tax as possible. So this is an important step. In addition, uh, we use the value of the practices that uh, companies like Tim's provide in our financial projections to ascertain the most optimal date to sell the practice and provide funding for retirement. Um, Steve, maybe you can think of some other examples. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, maybe the main reason why Lloyd thought that Tim would be a good fit uh, today is uh, because he views this as a holistic approach. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, his illusion when he was talking about the financial vault with the important documents that go in, uh, the life insurance, the wills. And it, it's really how we view the world. Uh, we think that asset management is, of course, important, but it's a commodity to a certain extent. A lot of people can build you a portfolio with bond stocks and alternatives, but not everybody is able to act as a sounding board and to position itself as a kind of the, the quarterback of the family. And I think Tim takes that role seriously uh, when he uh, when he has a brokerage mandate. So to us, uh, uh, if we have uh, incorporated professionals or, or other entrepreneurs, certainly making sure that uh, they have the, the right foundation if they were to sell the business is important. On top of that, everything that is around that. So what are they gonna do with this money? So philanthropy is something that is very, very prevalent. How do we structure an effective philanthropy with this uh, with this new 
uh, with new, this new amount of money. Uh, tax, uh, estate plan, wills, mandates, financial yeah. independence. Yeah. How much will that money stretch? Is it enough, right? We, we, we haven't spoken about that during the webinar, but it's very, it, it's all fine and dandy. But if somebody gets an offer for $2 million and they are of a certain age and their lifestyle is such, if the numbers won't work, right? If they can't go to age 90 with that, well, guess what? It's either not enough money or they have to work a little longer or they have to have a side gig. All of that will come and certainly color uh, their ability to make that decision. So uh, I, we continue to think that uh, a holistic approach to, to, to wealth management is what is important. And wow. it's our duty and, and our uh, responsibility to reach out to seasoned experts like a Tim when you have a client that is in that situation, as opposed to just somebody who will not look at all of these other angles. Exactly. I don't know if that answers your question, but- Yeah, totally. I think that's a great uh, response for sure. Thank you again, Tim. Um, so, well, I guess that wraps up another seminar. Uh, thank you again, Stephen Lloyd, and of course, Tim. Uh, we hope all of you enjoy your summer and uh, we look forward to another seminar in the fall. Stay safe, everyone, and please reach out if you have any questions on today's topic. Take care. Thanks for having me, Thanks Mercer. again. Enjoy Thanks, Florida. Mercer. Bye, everybody. Yeah.